Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this uh, Tuesday morning, October the 24th, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Uh, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you uh, desire. Uh, welcome back, and uh, joining me in just a little bit from The Athletic, a new website. Uh, he covers the Cleveland Indians. TJ Zuppi will be joining me. And who else will we be talking about? Mickey Calloway, who he's had a chance to cover and be up close with. Out in Cleveland, the new Mets manager, the 21st Mets manager. And guess what? There have been plenty of press conferences that have been won here in New York. Um, countless number of press conferences. But... You can't get a better 24 to 48 hours than Mickey Calloway had 
anybody, myself included, who watched the press conference yesterday, saw his interaction, saw the media reaction. I've been saying for a while, and I'm going to add one component to what really I believe is the foundation for a successful manager. It's uh, managing the media, and he did that very well, at least day one. I mean, I think uh, whatever they were smitten with with Terry Collins, I think that'll be put into the closet, and I think that at the very least, if he could be as erudite and upfront and uh, engaging as he was throughout his tenure with the media as he was yesterday, he'll be fine. I mean, it's it's not that hard to win over this collection. Let's put it that way. You talk a little baseball with them, you give them some access, you give them the quotes they need, they will, uh, they'll flock and they'll be your best friend. And that's exactly what Terry Collins did. You got to manage the clubhouse. And I know that that's something he talked a lot about yesterday, uh, Mickey Calloway. So, uh, you know, that's something that he's going to have to prove that he's up for. You know, he's saying all the right things. And then you have to manage a bullpen. And, and again, who knows, uh, just because he's been a solid pitching coach and he's had success with Terry Francona out in Cleveland, you don't know. The fourth component, and actually Joel Sherman of the New York Post brought it up, and it's not just the Mets. It's any organization now in sports. You have to really be able to manage the front office and ownership. Here at the Mets, it's not just about Sandy Alderson in the front office. It's also Fred Wilpon. I mean, it's no secret, and I was thrown in one of the pieces, one of the columns yesterday, that Mickey Calloway had to have a three-hour lunch with Fred Wilpon. Now, Fred Wilpon signing the checks. That's not uncommon. But this is not going to be a corporate bless-off working for the Mets where you have uh, Sandy Alderson reporting to this group out in a, you know, an area outside of New York or a venture capital group. Like This is a very personal relationship, a very personal situation, the New York Mets with Fred Wilpon. And he wants to be comfortable with who's managing his club, and he wants to talk baseball with them. And I'm sure Mickey Calloway did during that lunch, and I'm sure he will going forward. Now, that wasn't a reason to keep a bad manager around for a long time, but it is a component, managing the front office, managing Jeff Wilpon, managing his father, um, making sure that everybody's on the same page. There's a lot of stakeholders in this, and that's what I would call That's a corporate, a business word, stakeholders. There's a lot of stakeholders in this. And uh, Mickey Calloway will learn uh, how important it is to keep all of those uh, stakeholders happy while maintaining the most important thing, which is winning baseball games. Now, no surprise that the word culture And it's amazing because I know, I just have known since day one when Terry Collins was hired seven years ago, how bad a pick that was. And I think a lot of the members of the media, and even I saw even Matt Cerrone pop in over at Mets Blog, talk about how Sandy Alderson looked different and more relaxed. And and, and, I mean, obviously the first day a new manager is hired, he's going to be happy. But you never got the feeling, especially over the last few years, that Alderson and Collins were on the same page, that Alderson felt good about Collins. And you heard about how I mean, he tried to fire him. He talked about it in his book. I mean, he, I mean, Collins was probably tabbed to be fired well before the 2015 season, and then that changed a lot of different things. But a lot of what I saw, at least, you know, and how this translates to tangible activities and tangible results remains to be seen. But I always talk about when Pat Riley came to New York with the Knicks over well over 20 years ago. He he never talked about, you know, he, he, he introduced the concept of winning championships. And that was the end game. That was the result. And But the process is what he, he, he 
talked about right away. It was one of the first things. And Riley talked about being the most the hardest working, most professional, best conditioned baseball uh, basketball club. Conditioning was a big part. He talked about the process of how the Knicks were going to compete, and he felt ultimately win. Now, that comes with good players, and they were able to get some good players and come pretty close to achieving that goal. But he set the foundation and the standard of a culture that lasted well over a decade, even after he had left, because that was what the organization was about. And he was on the same page with Ernie Grenfell, the GM, Dave Checkins, who was the president. And yesterday, if you listen closely, Mickey Calloway, through his Pat Riley-esque type of foundation, which is durability, preparedness, and aggressiveness, things that this team has not been. They have not been durable. And some of that, he talked about how he could, I guess, manage that. They have not been prepared. And anybody wants to argue, and people argue with me on Twitter about this or in person, anybody thinks this team has been prepared since they won the World Series in 2015. You're not paying attention. They have not been prepared out of spring training. And aggressive, I mean, getting out there and, and, and being ready to take it and win. You know what team's aggressive? It was the Washington Nationals. They've been pretty aggressive over the last couple of years. When they go into a series, they go out and they set the tone, they set the pace. And a lot of that has to be, be with a mindset. They must have been too relaxed. And people are still afraid to use the term complacent. I saw that uh, yesterday. That Well, they, I'm not saying they were complacent. Yeah, they were complacent. And it's funny, you know, you hear Callaway speak, and just a couple of weeks ago, Noah Syndergaard couldn't think of pitching for anybody else but Dan Worthen as a pitching coach. But all of a sudden, he's tweeting out, well, yeah, yeah, welcome to New York. Believe me, all of what they know of what Terry Collins and Dan Worthen is in the back burner. It's going to be in the rearview mirror. They'll be, listen, by a week into pitchers, if not sooner, a week into pitchers and catchers, there'll be a distant memory. 2015 will look like 1973. That's how far into the back mirror it'll be. It really will be. So you have to be positive. You have to like what you heard. Again, their words. Winning the press conference isn't all that hard sometimes if you're smart. And Mickey Calloway clearly is smart. But what you're hoping is that he's coming here and he's setting a tone and he's setting a foundation. And I always felt back in 2010, what's interesting is that, and I'm not complaining about it, but they hired a manager who is new to the job, who may be a guy that, if it works out, could be here 10 years, could be their version of Bruce Bochy or Mike Sosha. And I always felt in 2010 that's how I would have rebooted. I would have hired someone new, fresh, energetic, someone who you knew was going to be here a long time. Now, Terry Collins lasted seven years, but he was also 60 years old when he was hired. You never felt that that was a long-term situation. If Terry was doing well... You know, you start to get to 68, 69, 70. That's the age where managers and coaches are kind of more of a short-term solution. I felt they needed that. That's why I thought Wally Backman was the best choice, not only from the standpoint that I felt he fit into the next wave of managers like a Mickey Calloway is right now. I thought from a branding perspective, his, his history with the New York Mets, not as important, but would have been part of it. Now, Mickey Calloway doesn't have that, but he's coming in and serving the purpose seven years later with an established team, not a team that's looking to tear down, rebuild, that's in a financial mess. I, I, just, I almost feel like they got to flip. Like now, because they're in a win-now mode, the whole move that the Nationals made a couple of years ago, bringing Dusty Baker in, is almost the kind of move you would have expected more or would have tolerated more for the Mets now. 
because in the next two to three years, there may be a rebuild after the end of the three-year deal. I mean, it's no secret that Callaway's got a three-year deal. I mean, three years, I mean, not saying they're going to get rid of him, but the window might be completely closed. The Mets have about two to three years to see what they can do here. I'm not saying they're not going to be good after that, but you don't know. And usually when you get a five, six-year run, uh, unless you get really lucky in your development system and your free agency comes your way, which you can't count on, you got to reboot and rebuild. Now, you hope you don't have to do the whole teardown that you did in 2010 and wait four or five years because that's long. You hope you can make it a little bit more of a quicker turnaround. Um, I know the Yankees have set a standard, but they've also not only been fortunate, but they've also had a lot of money pounded into that, and, and they haven't completely tore it down and rebuilt. So that's a little bit of a hybrid situation. A, a type, bringing up the Knicks, that's what the Knicks did in the late 90s, and it worked for a couple of years. Eventually, and the Yankees should be more sustainable than the Knicks were for a variety of reasons, but eventually you have to tear it down. Eventually that just patches what inevitably has to be uh, a wave of, of starting over, rebooting, and that usually takes a couple of years. The Cubs have done it, the Astros have done it, so on and so forth. So I'm a little surprised, not surprised, but I guess it was almost like you expected them to go this route in 2010. They didn't, and I think they regret it. I think if you really sat down, they should have done this a long time ago. They regret it because I think they would have been today in a better position. But anyway, that's water under the bridge. Mickey Calloway, great first impression. Uh, ace of the press conference, already winning over the media. Now he's got to win over his clubhouse starting in the spring training. And we'll see how he does um, in terms of uh, the in-game management. He clearly has won over his front office and his owner. And, uh, you know, you can't get much better than that. You know, if you read any of the articles, I'll leave you with this, and then we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get to T.J. Zuppi of The Athletic. Everywhere Callaway, whether it's walking in and, and getting a, a favor of an interview with the Cleveland Indians to work at their minor league system, or Terry Francona not knowing who the hell this guy was and hiring him as the pitching coach. Mickey Calloway has come in as a virtual unknown. I mean, he's a nondescript. He's a journeyman pitcher. ERA of around six for his career, pitched all over. I mean, 10 years ago when, when Jerry Manuel and Dan Warthen and the Willie Randolph situation was going on, he was pitching in the independent league. So Mickey Calloway was still a player. And 10 years ago may, may seem like a long time, but it's really not. It's not the longest time in the world. Uh, time flies. So he's always been, I guess, quote-unquote, the underdog, and uh, it seems like he's relishing the challenge. And uh, he didn't say, let, you know, I'll challenge you to wipe that smile off my face like Bobby Bonilla did, but he certainly was happy. Let's see how July 15th, West Coast trip maybe, you know, six out of seven, you know, maybe Cespedes is not feeling the, the urge to play or there's some mini controversy and the media swirling. And I don't think this group will swirl, especially if they like him. But, uh, you know, let's see how, how, how uh, engaging and smiley he is then. But uh, I think you saw a very – what I liked most about Mickey Galloway is I thought he was transparently being himself. At least I felt that way. I never felt that way from day one. I thought Terry Collins was pretending to be someone who he thought he had to be. And that was always one of my one of my many gripes of Collins. But phoniness and not being authentic and – and who they, who you are, is part of it. And I also think that although he's looking to partner and work with the players, I don't think he's looking to be their friend or make them happy or the things he says and does will necessarily make them feel good because he's going to push them. He said in that press conference, it's amazing. I could not have asked for a better 
uh, message. I mean, he said, not in these words, I'm going to push these guys. They're going to work harder. They're going to be pushed out of their comfort zone. This team so badly needs it. So badly needs it. Because if they're going to get to the next level, and they haven't. They got to the World Series. They didn't win it. Their needs, they're going to be need to be pushed out of their comfort zone. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, TJ Zuppi of The Athletic. And uh, we'll get a feel of what he thinks about Mickey Calloway and how he, his experience has been covering Mickey Calloway up close. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes. If you can leave a review, that'd be very nice. SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with TJ Zuppi right after this. What, are the, what can the players expect? We're going to care more about the players than anyone ever has before. And we're going to know that they're human beings and individuals. And this is going to be a group that feels that every day we come to the clubhouse. And that's going to be our main concern, is to show them that we know this game is difficult and we care about you as a player, a human being, and and about your personal life. Um, We're going to value their work. We're going to value the way they collaborate and communicate. And we're going to value their dedication to the culture that we're trying to build. We know that they are human beings and their numbers or stats are going to be a byproduct of how durable, prepared, and aggressive they are. And that's it. We're not going to have expectations on numbers. I'm going to have expectations that they're going to work the right way to go put up numbers. And if that happens, great. If not, I'm going to be happy that they worked as hard as they could and did everything they can to go out there and succeed. We will also ask them to do more than anybody ever has before. Okay, Our group is going to become a team because of our losses, our mistakes, the little rifts we have in the clubhouse. They're going to know that those things are okay as long as we are trying to get better and learn from those things. We're going to use all of those things to strengthen our bond as a group and to become the team that we want to be. And in the end, if we can do that, we're going to be the strongest team we possibly can, and that's going to allow us to do exactly what we want on the field and not have the pressure of those expectations. I am so ready to get out of here and get this done so I can start talking to the players and we can start all the things that we have on our to-do list. We're back, and uh, new Mets manager today, and uh, who better to talk to from The Athletic? Uh, T.J. Zuppi, he's been out there in Cleveland, and I'm pretty sure he knows Mickey Calloway and the Indians pretty well, and he's joining us now. TJ, welcome to the program. Uh, you thought you were going to get an off season after the Indians were eliminated by the Yankees, and uh, some some more New York news coming in and kind of infiltrating, I guess, the Indians. Yeah, I think we always knew that this was a possibility with Mickey because he is someone that carries such a, a, a well-respected, uh, almost thought throughout the game, and, and certainly within the the own. Uh, clubhouse and the players and his, the fellow coaches and Terry Francona, basically everybody felt like it was probably just a matter of time for Mickey and happened to be this off season for him. So good for him. Uh, I have with me TJ Zuppi from the uh, athletic. He covers the Indians. You can check him out on Twitter at TJ Zuppi. 
and obviously uh, on the athletic new venture out there, and it uh, looks like it's going to be something interesting. Uh, Mickey Callaway was pretty much an unknown uh, journeyman pitcher. T- uh, Terry Francona uh, takes over as the manager, and five years later, uh, I mean, Mickey Callaway is one of the hottest managerial candidates out there. How did this happen? I mean, this is a quick ascent for somebody, TJ. And, uh, I mean, we saw a little bit about him in the press conference, very charismatic, but uh, winning the press conference doesn't always translate to success. Why is Mickey Callaway the right guy to manage a team, and especially this Mets team, which is it's a tough job here? Yeah, I mean, if, if there's anybody that knows about winning the press conference and seeing that that doesn't play out, it's uh, media and fans here in Cleveland who have seen it a number of times with the the football team, the Browns, who have had a number of, of guys come yeah. in and sound really good in a press conference, and then it doesn't really pay off on the field. As far as his ascent goes, I, I reflect back to something that Tito told us uh, back in 2013, just there, just just before the season started, and when he was going through the process of picking a pitching coach, there was a lot of thought that he was going to go with somebody that he was familiar with, and Mickey was was off the radar for Tito. He was not off the radar in the organization, but everyone kind of felt like you know, is a, a guy coming in from Boston was probably going to pick some of his favorites, and he ended up going with Mickey, which was a little bit surprising. Um, and one of the reasons why, or at least initially, he said that, that Mickey was going to be a star. And you hear that and you go, what, what, what is that? A, a pitching coach is a star? What, what does that even mean? Well, we saw it kind of play out over the past few years. And, you know, you can just look at the stats and anybody can do that and see what he's done with the pitching staff. But, you know, they also have a lot of talented guys on there. So it kind of has to go hand in hand. Without the talent, you, you can't do much with it. But as far as Mickey, what makes him or what really separates him is not only has he got a keen eye for, for talent and, and for mechanical issues and all the different things that a pitching coach has to, to sort of weigh through uh, from an on-field standpoint, also just his managing of personalities and being able to adapt different styles and, and work with different types of pitchers and, and try to get the most out of them. And I think you can look at the Trevor Bauer as one for sure that you, you can sort of see that play out a little bit where you take Bauer who came in as a guy who was known to be very hard-headed so to speak uh, and had his way of thinking about things and throughout the years you know it's it's not necessarily that Bauer has bought 100% into what Mickey has done it's been Mickey trying to to blend what what he'd like to see with what Trevor has done and, and sort of his mentality and if you want to look at uh, just his ability to work with different styles of pitches. I think that's that's first and foremost where you can really uh, see that sort of thing really kind of shine through. And it, it's not just about uh, one type of pitcher trying to make everybody fit into one comfortable box. He's really good about taking many ideas and, and sort of finding an, a, a nice balance between what he would like to see and also what makes that pitcher comfortable. I have with me uh, TJ. Yeah, I have with me uh, uh, T.J. Zuppi from uh, The Athletic. The bullpen, the bullpen is obviously a big co- topic of conversation over here. Uh, it hasn't been managed well. Now, there's been some deficit of talent, so to speak, but Terry Collins really struggled identifying roles, uh, having a feel for the game. Uh, the Indians have been very progressive. I mean, what they did with Andrew Miller, I mean, I don't want to say they were the first, but they've kind of revolutionized how the bullpen comes into play. Uh, you know, coming in with the best pitcher and maybe not what is the traditional save situation. Uh, is Mickey Calloway one of the guys that uh, has spearheaded that? Uh, you know, considering that I know it's Francona's team, but 
uh, you've heard a lot about how he has uh, a feel for what you know situations he needs to put his pitchers in. Yeah, I mean, and, and we don't we won't really know that until we see what he does with these situations. I can tell you that uh, as far as forward thinking goes, he's always been very open to that. And, you know, he's someone that will stress some of the, 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 the old guard in that he wants to see his pitchers throw a lot of strikes and throw them early in the count. He preaches first pitch strikes. He, peach, pre, uh, he preaches uh, just making sure you're ahead in the count so that you're able to utilize your best stuff. But he's also someone that, um, I won't say revolutionized, but has really drilled into the pitchers' heads here in Cleveland. You know, we're not just going to – throw stuff that you know is is what you're supposed to throw in this count or uh we're going to lead off with the fastball because that's just what you do he's real he's always stressed throwing your best pitches as often as possible and well you know whether that's the curveball whether that's your slider whether that's your cutter so really being open to kind of the the analytical uh way of going about things with his pitchers and trying to show them the data that reflects hey when you throw this pitch more often you're getting better results so the fact that he's always been that sort of guy that, you know, has, has found a way to marry, you know, just the, the old school elements with the new school elements would lead me to believe that he's going to be open to, to really doing a number of different things and, and thinking outside the box. And, and you also have to have the right players to do that too. And, and I think a lot of people forget that you have to have your players buying in or else it isn't going to work. And in Cleveland, they had that buy-in. They had, Andrew Miller and Cody Allen and Brian Shaw and all these guys are willing to pitch in whatever role they were they were going to be thrust into. You know, not every team is blessed in that way. So that'll it'll be on probably trying to win some guys over and and sometimes you have guys that aren't comfortable pitching in different situations or aren't comfortable you being utilized in certain ways. And you know, it, it'll just be upon uh, upon Mickey to try to hopefully win those guys over or find guys that will be that unselfish and, and willing to do what some of the guys here in Cleveland have been willing to do. And you mentioned Terry Francona, how he, you know, Callaway was an unknown. He won Francona over, and there's been reports that they were very close. They were, they were, their thought process was very aligned. Uh, this, what are the things you think that Callaway will take away from working with Francona? I mean, obviously in New York, you know, covering the Yankees, seeing the Red Sox come in all these years. Uh, we're all familiar with Francona, but you've covered the, the team. You've seen him day in and day out. And sometimes when you just see them come in for three games or once a year or twice a year, uh, you don't get that same feel. What do you think he could take away from being around Terry Francona, who has turned the Indians around uh, also vir- virtually right away since he took over? Well, I think it's going to be mostly managing people. I mean, that's where Tito really separates himself. If it, you look at the, the X's and O's and the strategy in-game, if, if you're looking around the game, more I would say most managers are probably pretty close in in how they go about the in-game tactician stuff, and I think some of that gets overblown at times. Where where a, a good manager in my mind really separates himself is kind of what we were talking about: get your players to buy into certain ideas, even if it makes them a little bit uncomfortable. Know the right things to say to people in the right situations, and that's where Tito has always been. Uh, among the best, if not the best, just managing the room. Because to me, more probably more so than any sport, that's where it, in baseball it's such a huge separator because it's 162 games and you have to be able to, to kind of keep everybody aligned and on the same page. And, and the mental part of that is just as, as much as anything. So I think just 
from Mickey, who already is, is a guy that has such a great personality and can be so infectious and it's so fun to talk to and you can learn a lot from, and he has all of those intangibles already, but just seeing kind of how Terry Francona has gone about things over the past five years, I can't imagine he didn't pick up some, some really stellar things to help him in this new job. Would you be surprised if he took over? I don't know what their contract situations are, but members of the organization, obviously they're looking for a pitching coach, a bench coach. I mean, that's still to be determined. Uh, are there any rumblings, or do you feel like there may be one or two guys that might be headed to New York that may be part of Mickey Calloway's staff? I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't heard anything, and we're, su- we're just supposed to – uh, at least talk to somebody within the Indians organization tomorrow to kind of get a clearer picture of, of what they intend to do with their pitching coach job. And you know, that could impact things as well. Um, if, if Mickey is, is looking at somebody inside the staff and I'm sure he's going to be respectful to the Indians and what they need to do here as well, trying to fill their pitching coach job. So I think until we really get a grasp of that, it, it will just be speculation on my part, but I mean, it, it always seems to happen. You see a guy or two, maybe make his way over and the Indians not only just coaching staff wise, as we saw this here recently with Kevin Cash make his way to the to the Rays from the Indians bullpen coach job. Also in the front office too, they've had so many different guys that have left to go lead other organizations and have taken few pieces parts here and there. So I think we've seen it enough that usually you surround yourself with at least a few people that would make you comfortable. But the one thing I, I can say about Mickey is I think he's comfortable and confident enough himself that he's not surrounding himself only with yes men and I think that's important for a first-time manager you know you want to bring people in that you're comfortable with and kind of help stress what you're trying to to bring about but you also need some people there to give you a little bit of a differing sense of opinion and and that's something that that Terry Francona has that environment has sort of created here in Cleveland that maybe Mickey can take to work is that they bring a lot of different voices in the room and they make sure everybody has their voice and they make sure everybody's heard and then they come to a consensus. I think you need to have some healthy dissension, uh, a little bit of disagreement to to maybe bring about things you weren't thinking about before, because even as Terry Francona has told us you know, many times, there were certain things that he was against and he listened to his coaches, he trusted them. And he ended up going with something that they thought because they ended up winning him over and ended up paying off. And I think as a good manager, you have to know maybe when you don't know something and when you need to listen to people. And I'm pretty sure that from all of our conversations we've had with Mickey throughout the years, he's, he's certainly confident enough that he can listen to other people and take what he needs to and, and, and put that into other situations. And it's going to be important because he's a pitching coach. You don't see many pitching coaches become managers. I know Bud Black uh, former pitcher, but you know, pitching coach to manager is a little bit different. And um, he's going to, I mean, it was made, made, it was made clear today. He's not going to manage the pitching staff like a, you know, dual role. So that's I wonder how much of a challenge that's going to be, not just because of, of Mickey Calloway, because just the position in general, that's something a little bit different. You don't see all the time. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where you probably jump the gun a little bit when you think, Oh, well, the, the Mets have these, these great pitchers. We have these great talents. So bring in a pitching guy and he'll work directly with them. Well, it's probably not going to exactly be that way. It's the same thing in, in, in football. The offense is struggling, so get, go get an offensive head coach. It, 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 the guy has to manage a lot of different things. He's not just going to be hands-on with one thing. So uh, whoever he brings in to be his pitching coach and, and his bullpen coach and everybody else will – being part of that staff. I mean, that's, that's all pretty important. You, you certainly want to, to bring in people that you trust and, and will do kind of what you want to do and can get on the same page with you. 
because it's not gonna, Mickey's not going to be able to do all the same things that he did in Cleveland. He's not going to be able to go out and watch every bullpen um, for every starter that's out there. And he's, he's going to be wrapped up in a number of different things. So that'll be interesting to watch. And, and I think every every manager that's going through it for the first time kind of has to learn how to not be too hands-on because you, know, you can't control everything. Unfortunately, there are some things, even as Terry Francona was, was talking about and he was getting – kind of ripped here in Cleveland for some of the choices they made in on their ALDS roster. And it's really the first time he's had a lot of this sort of second guessing uh, in this city. And, you know, he, he's willing to admit sometimes you try to make everything stretch and you try to handle everything. And, and sometimes you can't, you just do the best job that you can. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, I mean, obviously Jay Bruce had a nice little year here in New York. He had a big impact in Cleveland He's a free agent. Uh, you know, obviously the Yankees eliminated the Indians a couple of weeks ago. Has the stink worn off? What's the temperature there? And then uh, Jay Bruce is somebody that's maybe, I don't know which direction the Mets are going to go, but they may be looking to maybe do a reunion. And, and I think Ohio guy, you know, Cincinnati had a good time in Cleveland. Sometimes those situations, you start to fall in love, kind of like the Mets and Cespedes a couple of years ago. You know, what's the temperature of all that over there in Cleveland with Bruce and, and where they're going to go after a very disappointing ALDS uh, loss? Well, they got a num- yeah, yeah, they got a number of different uh, free agent and option decisions. Uh, Michael Brantley, they have to decide whether or not they're going to pay him $12 million, and he's been such a gigantic part of the organization, so it's not like just cutting ties and looking strictly at numbers. There's a, a personal element of this as well. Carlos Santana is a free agent. They have to decide whether or not they're going to keep him, and Jay Bruce falls into that as well. Now, you can only take so much away from the conversations you have with players five minutes after their season ends because there's been a number of times throughout the years, whether it's college football or basketball or a player, right after the game and says, I'm coming back to school next year. And then a week later, he's headed for the draft. You know, so, you know in the, the emotion right. of the moment, it's tough. But I, I, I know just uh, covering Jay a little bit here in the, the final two months or what, whatever it actually was, you know, he's someone that that really did appreciate uh, the organization, and and I don't know, I don't know, if, probably too strong to say fell in love, but I think he really enjoyed his time being there, and and he really fit in really well, which was almost surprising how well he fit in. And I know some of that is because he had a relationship, you know, he's been, been with the Reds, and the Reds and the Indians share a complex, so it's not like he was a stranger with a number of these players, but he he came in and it was like he had been there all year long. So that's a testament to him, and a testament to the culture they've created in the clubhouse to, to make it easy for guys to fit in in the middle of the season. So I think there's a number of, of, of reasons why they, w- they would want that union to continue on both sides. But the biggest question is, can they pay him what's comfortable enough to make it work for both sides? I don't know the answer to that right now because they're still sifting through the, the Michael Brantley decision and the Carlos Santana decision. And both of those, they're going to have to very handle, handle very delicately, let's say, just because of how long both of those guys have been here. Hey, and last thing, so the Athletic, um, I don't know how long you've been there, uh, but obviously it's a new venture, uh, a lot of interest. Uh, obviously, you're covering the Indians. Are you just covering the Indians? You know, What are you doing over there? Give the listeners an idea. If they're, I'm sure they're familiar with it, but maybe there's some interesting things coming up for you or in general at the Athletic that they may want to know about and subscribe and what have you. Yeah, I mean, I, I started when they launched the, the Cleveland portion of this. We were the third city. They were initially in Chicago, and then they expanded to Toronto, and Cleveland was the third destination. And I started in March, so I've been there all season long. Um, and we've just ex- expanded exponentially and growing at a rapid pace. And 
I know many people by now know that, that Ken Rosenthal is writing for us as well. And we've expanded our Indians coverage to, uh, to bring on one of my, my good friends and colleagues, Zach Meisel, and, and I are our tag team in the, the tribe beat now. And that's our primary focus heading into the off season is, season is all the things that they have that are, that are uh, sort of unique to a team that is as good and as many people expect to be back uh, in, in the playoffs as the Indians, but yet a number of things kind of hanging over their heads. So there's no, no lack of things to talk about and discuss, whether it's podcasting or, or writing and, and tackling all sorts of different topics from different angles. And of course, trying to, to bring people something that's a little bit different than what they're finding elsewhere, because we know uh, people are subscribing and we have a responsibility to our, to our readers and, and our fans to, to bring something a little bit different. And I, I think we try to do that every day here at the athletics so i'm really excited about the direction we've we've gone and the, the direction that is still ahead and some big things ahead for sure hey you've been generous with your time thanks again man um hey who knows there may be some indians uh on the way you never know what happens with uh callaway and free agency and if there's in another you know cross chance to talk about uh an indians new york topic we'll reach out to you so uh be well and thank you again for spending some time with us no problem anytime you need me that's uh, TJ Zuppi of uh, The Athletic. Good stuff. Interesting stuff. Gave you kind of a – look, there has not been, as I said in the open, you can't get a better press conference. You can't get more positive press in a 24-hour span from being named the manager to being introduced to the ma- as the manager. Um, you know, but we've seen this before in this town. And, um, you know, now it's about rolling up your sleeves, Mickey Callaway rolling up his sleeves, the Mets – getting themselves a coaching staff and, and getting on with the task of building the team in the offseason. Let me take a quick break. When we return, one last note, uh, a pitcher that is going to be available that could maybe anchor the staff in a way that Bartolo Colon did, a blast from the past, a name that you may be familiar with, somebody who may or may not be available. depends on uh, what the career path they're going to take. So let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll wrap up right after this. Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Hey, a couple of final thoughts. I thought it was a good segment. I want to appreciate TJ Zuppi coming on, and uh, who knows, maybe uh, as uh, we go forward, uh, maybe we've got a new contributor or somebody we could reach out to. I don't know how many times we're going to have Mets-Indians crossover connection, but um, who knows, maybe a World Series matchup in the future. Who knows? But anyway, uh, before I get to one quick thing, I I did hear uh, TJ talk about the Mickey Brantley decision, Carlos Santana, uh, Jay Bruce, who knows, uh, as there are free agents or there are opportunities to upgrade the roster, 
if because of Mickey Calloway's familiarity with the Indians organization, maybe that's something that you'll see the Indians and Mets partner on, whether it be via trade, free agency. I'm not going out and saying that they should go out and, and, and get any of those guys. I know Bruce is probably the most likely guy for the Mets to look at. Santana, to me, is more of an American League player, uh, but he is a first baseman uh, in theory, right? So um, something to just take a look at. We're just thinking about that after uh, TJ got off the phone and, and what have you. So uh, anyway, uh, the pitcher I was talking about, it looks like R.A. Dickey is going to be available. Now, I don't know, and you guys uh, may have read this if you're not. So R.A. Dickey was basically the option, an $8 million option that was part of his two-year contract was not picked up. And I was a little surprised because all reports throughout September were that the Braves were going to pick it up. Now, there's been upheaval in the Braves' front office, the scandal with the the international situation, which is still coming out. There's always been something, you know, Jim Bowden, who's over on SiriusXM, was involved in his own scandal. There's a lot of dirty stuff that goes on uh, with the the international market. It looks like the, the Braves got themselves caught with their hand in the cookie jar. But um, maybe that's played into that, and maybe they don't want a, a veteran anchor uh, with that, at that price tag on their staff. I don't see why not. I think it's important for a team, especially as they continue to try to take the next step to be a 500 or better team, maybe contend. I don't know if they're ready for that next year. But anyway, that's, that's not the point. The point is I think R.A. Dickey is a better option if he wants to pitch then a Bartolo Colon in the sense where they met to need a veteran who knows how to pitch who could give them innings. I mean, he gave the Braves 190 innings last year. Uh, he was a league average pitcher. He had a 10-10 and record, a 4.26 ERA. Uh, you know, he, he's not, and I don't know if maybe it was like maybe a little bit of a, of, a, of a career spurt that he had in 2012. Certainly it might be part of that. He may not be the pitcher that won the Cy Young Award that, that yielded them Noah Syndergaard and, and T, uh, Travis Darno. But he's certainly a, a really good option uh, for the Mets. And uh, I'm even looking because one of the things I wanted to see is maybe it was his, uh, his home away splits. He even, uh, you know, he pitched a little bit better on the road than he did at home. But he was pretty consistent across the board. I think he's a guy that will give you innings. Um, he'll anchor the staff. I know that there was some issues when he was here in the clubhouse because of his book. And, you know, I've heard some things firsthand and secondhand about why the players were upset about him, make, feeling that he was making it about him. And I didn't look at him as a bad clubhouse guy, but and, and I don't know how he left. And I don't know if the Mets would be interested in bringing him back in, but certainly he'd be a name when you talk about a veteran anchor to a staff that I would look for. And that was one of the names that just popped out to me. And, and again, how he fits into the culture and what Mickey Calloway's trying to do and how things – were as he left when he didn't get his contract extension and the Mets decided to trade him. I don't know. I don't know how, how the front office feels. It's the same group, so it's not like uh, you could say, well, that was a different group. But it's the new manager, and a lot of the guys are not from that 2012 team are not here anymore. So, you know, he may not matter what happened in the clubhouse. So just something to think about. There's one name. As we, as we head into the offseason, now that the Mets have a manager, um, I know that the coaching staff will need to be named, and uh, we'll see how that how that goes. You know, at the end of the day, like I said, it didn't really matter to me who the manager was. I wanted them to go with the best candidate that that seemed to bring all the things I talked about in the open, the process things, or could execute the process things, and somebody new and fresh. And I think, other than Manny Acta, everybody fell into that. Kevin Long, we could debate that, but. 
give Paul Lebowitz, who was on this, Paul Lebowitz Fanwag Sports, he was on the program less than a week ago. He thought Callaway would have been the best, most out-of-the-box uh, d- decision, and, and that's the, the way the Mets went. And, and, and it looks like so far, after one day, it'll be the, uh, the, you know, at least it looks like the right decision so far. So we'll uh, we'll see. But interesting uh, start to the offseason. Now we could get into the hot stove, and like I said, we kick it off a little bit with a name like Ari Dickey. And uh, and maybe that's an uh, you know that's a name that we'll just keep uh, an eye on. So anyway, want to thank TJ Zuppi for uh, joining me today. You can check him out at TJ Zuppi on Twitter and also at the Athletic. Of course, check out our partners over at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, I'll be back soon. We'll see how the content goes, but. Keep staying tuned and see what's going on. Take care, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.